Welcome to Laughter for All. It's the podcast with comedian Nazareth. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Live, uh, <laughs> the Laughter for All podcast. I'm comedian Nazareth, and this is episode number 42. And my guest today, I'm very excited to introduce him. Uh, he's a friend of mine. We met a couple years ago in Maui, uh, Hawaii doing an increased conference and i learned so much from this man we became friends and last march right before everything shut down we were able to spend time and i'll tell you what if you watch my uh, live with nash show i remember when we first started show the first advice i gave you came from dr mark uh, sherwood about what to do to you know to prevent yourself from getting sick but all the and we'll ask the same question again using the silver collide, the magnesium, the 2K, all that. That was the man that gave gave me the best advice. And guess what? I haven't had a cold or sniffles or anything uh, yet. So so let me introduce him officially. He's a naturopathic doctor. He's on a mission to help you achieve wellness in every area of your life. He, uh, the naturopathy is a system of treatment of disease that avoids drugs and surgery and emphasizes the use of natural agents such as air, water, and herbs, and physical means such as tissue manipulation and electrotherapy. Dr. Mark and his wife, Dr. Michelle and Sherwood, has a successful med- medical practice, the Functional Medical Institute, also a TV and a radio program, as well as provide resources, including their Amazon bestseller, The Quest for Wellness, nutrition plans, fitness instructional videos, and helpful mental and emotional steps to provide relief from stress and to help people form better habits so they can live better. He's a former Oklahoma State and regional bodybuilder champion, ex-professional baseball player, and a 24-year-old retired veteran of the Tulsa Police Department, where he logged a decade of courageous services on the department's SWAT team. So welcome, welcome, Dr. Mark. Thank you for taking the time. I can imagine how busy you are. I can but thank you for being with us. You're so welcome. It's a pleasure, man. Thank you for being my friend and thank you for the awesome opportunity to be with you today. It's, it's, I, I am absolutely honored, grateful, and thankful. So how is Tulsa, Oklahoma today? It is hot and humid, which is kind of <laughs> matching Southern California, I understand. Wonderful, wonderful. Now, uh, you're, you were born, then what happened? Well, I I born, then I grew up. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, I was born in in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And interestingly enough, I was adopted. So a really cool thing, you know, I I, I was adopted as a a young boy. I'm not sure of the age, but, um, you know, my parents uh, adopted me and they raised me. And I was really raised in church, but I I, I gave my life to the Lord when I was eight years old. And it was a life-changing moment for me. and, you know, I think growing up um, in a, um, you know, quasi-Christian environment, it helped me and shielded me from some stuff. But at the same time, you know, as I grew up and became a man, I was exposed to a lot of stuff that I didn't really ever think I would see with uh, being police officer and things of that nature. Wow. So you're, you're a bodybuilder, a police officer, and a doctor. Yes, sir. What, what scares you? Uh, nothing. Uh, honestly, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not because, um, you know, when you, when you, <laughs> I've said, when you stare at the, the wrong end of a 45, you don't really worry about too much, you know? And, and so I, I'm able to come at people in here and say, man, come on, man, don't tell me you're scared to death because you don't know anything about that. And ultimately, uh, we have to begin to, uh, live life. You can't live life Nazareth if fear has its hooks in you. So, Fear will prevent you from living life. And so I think that that's the most uh, egregious, probably, pandemic we have right now is this thing called fear because it's preventing the fullness of life. And I really believe that with my fullest intention. Wow. Now, when we first met in, uh, no, last last year in March, uh, no, early, this is 2020. Yes. Uh, B- BC, before uh, coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Uh, my wife came up with that, like before uh, Christ, it's before coronavirus. <laughs> we were at, at a, in Maui, and I asked her the question right before uh, me getting on the plane. I said, what do I need to protect myself from the coronavirus? I mean, and I'll let you answer it again. Or, 
give us the answer because people are scared. Well, we, first of all, I think the first thing to do is, is eliminate the concept of fear because our bodies are made fearfully and wonderfully by the creator to fend off viruses. The coronavirus is nothing new, Nazareth. It, it's, it's, a, it's a form of something that's been around a while and really to understand that viruses were here before BC and even they'll be here next year. Uh, we're gonna be facing these viruses and our body has a really cool system called the immune system. And there's an innate immune system and an adaptive immune system. The innate system is what we're born with or what we acquire. The adapting one is what we uh, sort of develop into as we're exposed to certain things. Now, with that said, it's very important to understand that the, the body has to have certain things that are necessi necessities for it, or we should say essential for its system to operate. The immune system is no different. It requires all of our mechanisms to be in place. And some of the mechanisms we need, obviously, we need a, a healthy diet. We need to avoid the inflammatory foods and bring in what I call life-giving foods. And I'll be glad to give kind of a list of that if you Yes, like. please. What's an um, inflammatory so food? Inflammatory foods are as follows. And I really hope people can, you know, take down a pen, pencil, and jot this down. Inflammatory foods are going to be as follows. Sugars artificial sweeteners, sodas, processed foods, fried foods, MSG, monosodium glutamate. Uh, we also have to throw in the category of these breads and grains. That's a, a big issue, but those are inflammatory in their current construct. Uh, soy, most likely, uh, corn, most likely at this point, and then dairies. So if we can eliminate the inflammatory foods, our system then has, will maintain a better response from an immune inflammatory cascade to go fight what is coming at us. When we look at these non-inflammatory foods, or let's call them life-giving foods, it's clear. It's we wanna have fruits and vegetables and uh, good fats, good quality fats like avocados, olive oil, et cetera and good protein selected from good quality protein sources. Again, you don't need to do diet, but if, if anyone's listening can, can pull those first things out of your, your, your plan and put the latter things into your plan, you will do better. Now, with that said, there's always things that we need on top of that because our nutrition is inadequate today. Hence, soil has not been allowed to rest and of course we have you know, the, the degradation of vitamins and minerals within our food supply. And so we need vitamin D. Vitamin D is critical for immune function and bone building, go figure. Um, mm. So vitamin D with vitamin K, we wanna have about 5,000 IUs of vitamin D at least, if not 10,000 IUs of vitamin D with about 100 micrograms of vitamin K2. Okay, now that's very important. If you have lighter skin, lighter skin tone, uh, unlike you and I, Ness, <laughs> you know, a <laughs> little bit darker skin tone, lighter skin tone requires less vitamin D. So you might be more than 5,000 IU. Darker skin tone requires more vitamin D because we don't synthesize it well from the UVB rays of the sun. We also need vitamin C. Vitamin C is a big deal. So 2,500 milligrams twice a day would be an adequate dose. Um, I think you mentioned silver. Colloidal silver is great. You can take that um, spray, you can get it um, liquid, but it's really good because it becomes antiviral. Uh, zinc is excellent too. 20 milligrams for ladies, 40 milligrams for men. You could look at also omega-3, fatty acids. Now, these are essential. And I want people to, to not leave these out because we tend to look at these things as we're going to eat fish and eat salmon and get enough. That's just not true. I've tested thousands of people around this world and I've found exactly this many people that have been efficient with that. This many, zero. Omega-3. That's right. We're all efficient. So we need at least three to four grams of EPA and DHA, again, that's EPA and DHA, from about a three to two 
ratio of EPA over DHA, and it needs to be that full gamut of that whole three grams or four grams of omega-3 fatty acids. So how can you, how can someone like me who's a lay person ADD be able to get those average together? And do I go to, does Costco stuff work? Do I buy them from, I have to go to a specialty like CNG or someone? What, what What's a good vitamins? Uh, well, like first of all, you know, going to, to, you know, the stuff that's available just over the counter is for the most part, extremely suboptimal, if not inadequate, completely altogether. You need to look wow. at something that's sort of a, a, a professional line. So what that would look like is on the bottle, you will see a stamp of approval based upon levels of quality they must maintain. Typically, something should be labeled GMP, GMP. And yeah. it's really interesting because I get sent emails a lot of times and they'll say, hey, Mark, can you look at my uh, supplement list? And I'm like amazed at the garbage that's out of here that's got nothing in it. And people are just, they're floored by it when I say, well, this is, this is not even quality. They're like, well, but, but, uh, but it was at GNC or it was at you know, Costco and, and it was only $4.99. Well, you kind of get what you pay for. Um, mm. So high quality sources are critically important. And I would suggest, you know, find a, a functional medicine practitioner. And of course, we can help too. I mean, we see people all around the world anyway, but find someone you can ask these questions to and say, look at this or look at that and let somebody make specific recommendations to ensure you get the quality that's needed to help your system fight appropriately. What about people who don't have a lot of money? I mean, like, because sometimes these things are expensive and they go, well, I really need it. But then yep. again, what do well, you I think that uh, there's a study that was out uh, several years ago. There, I, I use this term intentionally. There's a myth, M-Y-T-H, that goes around that says eating healthy or being healthy is too expensive. That's just not true. It's how you frame this. In actuality, there was a study done, and I, I'm paraphrasing this heavily, but in a five-day window, Monday through Friday, they gave uh, two families instructions. One was to go to a fast food restaurant, eat as much as you want, three meals a day. The other one was given parameters about what to shop for in the grocery store, three meals a day. And then the latter group, they were given instructions to shop for organic foods, right? Only, only organic foods. So at the end of the week, they totaled up the amount spent, and it was $128.00. Uh, for the organic food, it was $131 for the uh, poor food from the fast food. So again, that one study does not sort of make it all like that, but that gives you an example. I think people need to, to look at it differently. I mean, mm -hmm. we find ways to pay for what we deem to be important. And I think the greatest gift we have truly is the gift of life. And to put that as a minimal standard down here and say, I can't afford that, you know, we're probably setting ourselves up for failure. And I, I realize people, all of us are different in walks of life and means that we're able to do. But I do know this, and, and not to be over spiritual, but God wants people to be healthy. I mean, I believe that. And if he wants us to be healthy, he will provide a way. He's not going to provide you a platform of excuse to stand on. He's going to provide a way. And so I think we need to start saying, I have what I need. I'm not going to fear. I'm going to be well. And I'm going to have everything I need from a supplement standpoint as I need it. And I'm not going to fear not having any money to pay for it. Where do you buy your vitamins? You know, Where? here at our clinic, um, Dr. Michelle and I really searched the world out and we have no loyalties to any companies. So we get our vitamins and minerals from generally about four different sources. One is called Zymogen, X-Y-M-O-G-E-N. Mm -hmm. Another one is called Designs for Health. Another one is called Biotics, B-I-O-T-I-C-S. And those are three companies that you can absolutely trust. There are a couple others, but those are great ones. And they've got great sources. Um, I think probably two of those are available on um, Amazon. Uh, but again, you got to watch that too, because when you buy off Amazon, you got to think about where has this thing been stored? 
temperature, humidity, time, and it could be, uh, you, you always got potential counterfeit out there, you know, expiry date, that kind of thing. Interesting. I never knew that. That's amazing. Now, yep. what if someone's saying, okay, should I wear my mask? Is a mask already works? What do I need? What other extra things other what you gave me about the vitamins? What do I need to do to protect myself from the coronavirus? Well, I think there's a lot of discussion about mask now. Um, should we wear them? Should we not? I think um, there is a belief out there that's pretty strong from one side of the community that says masks are beneficial. I think masks can be beneficial if you're sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as a well person being uh, said to wear a mask, I don't find benefit in that personally. It doesn't make a lot of sense because from the standpoint of a mask, you will compress, if I'm using my hands, you're going to compress the ability to expel or expire carbon dioxide and further you're going to breathe it back in. We don't live on breathing carbon dioxide. We live on breathing oxygen. Oxygen and I want everybody to hear this, is required for the body to manufacture ATP, which is energy. Energy is required for your immune system to use to fight. So in effect, you can be suppressing potentially an immune system by doing that. And I'm not saying that if you're sick, you should not wear a mask. If you're sick, certainly avoid contact with people, avoid things that can make it worse. And again, you might even think about staying away from people, but that's for your good and their good. But for someone that's healthy, for us to say we need to be wearing a mask, I do not see that personally. And I know people may differ in opinion. That's very fine. People have access to that. Uh, I don't see it personally beneficial. I think the most beneficial things can do is this. Wash your hands. Use good, clean sanitation. <laughs> don't sneeze on people. When you sneeze, don't sneeze into your hands, sneeze into your arm. Uh, use tissue to wipe it off. Don't touch your face a lot. And one thing about masks, I've seen people jiggling those things and fiddling with those things, and you're touching your face. Again, that's how things get from the hands to the mouth. So if you can just kind of do the standard cleanliness things, you're going to be okay. It, I don't think, Nazareth, it's it's a point at this. And I think it's a good consideration point. Since viruses are going to be around, you're not going to be able to suppress the virus. It's Mm -hmm. not going to happen. We're trying to wait on a vaccine, but vaccines don't prevent every episode of infection. So for us to try to wait on a vaccine, I mean, this is a redundant thing that's going to go on and on. Every time something new comes up, we're going to lock everything down, put on a mask, and wait for vaccine. But eventually, you know, and I even recently asked the Lord, you know, should we be wearing a mask? And I really want to know, and again, not to be over spiritual, but he clearly said to me this. He said, don't fear anything that I've created. And I had to get my mind around that one and go, what, what did you create the virus? But then again, Nazareth, this virus, and this is deep, but I hope I gets this. It mm. exposed the weakened immune system of our population. I'm glad it did because it gives us a chance to get well and get help, man. I mean, this is good information. So it's a different way to look at it. That's awesome. So now we have a lot of people who are, uh, uh, what do you call it? They're very anxious. They're very, uh, it gets to a point of depression. Now, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, when people are in that stage, they always recommend like Lexapro or Xanax. all this medication what yep. is the if if someone comes to your institute the what what how do you treat that anxiety how let's start with anxiety how do you treat anxiety well obviously there's uh there's a big component with anxiety and fatigue they kind of go hand in hand you know like depression uh, about 75 percent of all doctor visits across the united states um at current have some component of fatigue or depression with them Furthermore, one in four uh, Americans right now are, are said to be on an antidepressant of some sort. I can guarantee you this, that we weren't born with a Lexapro, Paxil, or Wellbutrin, or Prozac deficiency. That's just not true. With, with that said, um, we've got to get the idea that anxiety, fear, depression, um, those are abnormal responses to life's occurrences. Most of the time, it's, and again, I use that intentionally that we're not medication deficient. We are vitamin and mineral deficient. For example, 
the creation of neurotransmitters like serotonin that makes you not depressed and like dopamine that makes you feel good. Like when you get laughter, you get a dopamine, yeah. sir. You make me, you make me have a dopamine overage, sir. It's good. That's but a great compliment. Are, Nobody ever shared that with me in that way. But a, thank you, doctor. They can call you my my dope dealer. I don't know. My dope dealer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's good. But uh, the the neurotransmitters are made from amino acids. Amino acids are taken in from the food. And so if we eat poorly and don't get amino acids, we're not going to develop neurotransmitters. If we don't get enough B vitamins and magnesium from our food, we're not going to make the amino acids become neurotransmitters. So it's all really about nutrition, isn't it? So someone dealing with anxiety, I'm going to get them to sleep. I'm going to get them to get out and get some sunshine. I'm going to have them get some activity. I'm going to clean up the nutrition. And I'm going to give them some positive affirmations to say. In other words, never say again that I am depressed. Never say again that I am diabetic or I am heart disease. I am living a life conducive with normal mood patterns, or I'm living a life conducive with optimism and faith. See, I've reframed that. And so I'm going to treat that from all different directions. And certainly, you know, here at our clinic, my wife is a a doctor of osteopathy that's a medical doctor we have medication if someone's about to jump off of a, a cliff or something you throw everything at them because you've got to stop it in an acute manner so we're not anti-medication we're just anti-medication when it comes to using medication to perpetually manage disease processes which is an impossibility based upon the very idea of medicine medicines to treat acute care we need to treat upstream causes. And like the example you gave from anxiety, I want to know why someone is depressed. What's their home life like? What's their job like? Are they stuck being inside? I mean, is, is this quarantine driving them nuts? Is, is it becoming social isolation, which, by the way, is a negative towards all of these processes? Suicides are going up. Divorces are going up. Heart attacks are going up. I mean, we can't isolate from people. We need to give everybody like a virtual hug right now, you know? Right? <laughs> Now, what do you do to someone who, let's say they had a situation where they became anxious or they had uh, maybe like a, a panic attack once and then the doctor automatically put them on Lexapro. And now when they take it, oh, when they stop one day, they get back to this like where they're sweating, they're shaking, yep. you know, they're feeling, what do you, how do you deal with that? Well, when they come into here and we've had a lot of people that come on that are on things, you never, ever quit cold turkey because the medications, if you quit cold turkey, you'll get a rebound effect. I mean, that goes a lot across the line with a lot of these pharmacological interventions. You always want to have a strategy of titration, which means to lower the dose over time. And you have to bring in a replacement. So you might bring in um, uh, calming things like herbs like ashwagandha that sort of are adaptogenic herbs. You might bring in some magnesium that could calm the system or some GABA, G-I-B-A. And you bring those in sort of slow over time and eventually you begin to sort of wean off of that. And that may take you six months. It may take you a year. It may take you three months. Mm. Either way, you need to have a strategy to do that. Without a strategy to doing that, you'll typically have a not very good success. Okay, example. One time I took my daughter to a doctor that she started looking at her and holding her arm and letting it down. And she started, so, is this real or is that a voodoo doctor? Or is she, <laughs> they, they don't do that at your practice. No, no, no. We, uh, you may be talking about muscle testing and things like that. We, we don't really do that much. We typically rely on um, uh, observational data. We rely on what somebody's telling us. I mean, the greatest, the greatest healing mechanism you can have for anybody is, is these two things right here. Mm. Listen, listen to them talk. What are they saying? Not just with their words, but what are they saying with their heart? Remember, 95% of all communication is nonverbal. A good listener is a good healer. Mm. So it's not like doctors, because we went to that lady and paid right away. She took like 1500 immediately. And then she looks and she, she looks at her and she goes, well, I feel uh, this is what we need to do. And they yeah. gave, she gave her all these. <laughs> but uh, I have a question from, uh, from our uh, listeners. I, uh, let's see, we asked the first one, what's the natural treatment for anxiety? Somebody sent me this and said, I have difficulty with diverticulitis yeah. flare-ups, which is uh, the blocking or in the... 
what is what is they diverticulitis yeah diverticulitis is anytime this is good for the listeners you see the the suffix i t i s itis that means inflammation okay mm -hmm. inflammation so diverticulitis is inflammation of the area in the colon so you're going to get a lot of bleeding potential uh you know out of the, the bowels etc so bleeding in the stool what you can do for diverticulitis is as follows you want to eliminate the nuts and seeds those rough things that come through the, the system uh seeded fruits and things like that spicy things things that come through and sort of scratch the lining on the way out that can become a huge problem now diverticulitis because it does yield some tissue damage that tissue perforation which creates the blood over the time if that doesn't heal could that result in more serious uh, issues such as development of even cancers over time, you bet it can. That's why it's not going to a treatment protocol part-time in that. You have to go full-time and eliminate those things. I think as well, increasing fiber from a powder form is wisdom, but you don't want it so tight that you create too much of a, um, a constipation effect. So making sure your bowels are fully formed um, and not loose and not too hard is really a good thing. And then perhaps some colostrum. I find colostrum is extremely useful towards the healing of the GI system. Wow. Uh, this is amazing. You know, all that. Okay. Uh, you mentioned something earlier about uh, avoid dairy because dairy is an inflammatory. Yeah. What about almond milk and other sources? Are those inflammatory? Yeah. Almond milk, cashew milk, um, coconut milks, those are all generally considered anti-inflammatory as long as you get them unsweetened, okay? Remember, don't get them with the sugar added because the sugar becomes inflammatory. Now, I realize that there are those out there that would say that dairy is good, but however, I looked at simple data. We consume more dairy in the United States than any other country in the world, but yet we lead the world in osteoporosis. So my question for you is how can milk do a body good? It doesn't seem to do that very well. Um, uh -huh. Further, the cows that produce our dairy for the most part are in confined animal feeding operations known as CAFO, C-A-F-O. So the cow, the calf is put into a confined area. They are fattened up as fast as possible by eating what? Corn and wheat, inflammatory foods, right? They're given hormones that are gonna help make them grow and they're given antibiotics so they won't get sick in this confined area. And then they're kept pregnant 300 days out of the year so they can continue to pour out milk. Now we're getting a fatty product from that, that has, that we become what we eat eats. And so you see dairy as I believe strongly, uh, a key generator to potential carcinogenic activity as well as perhaps bone loss. So don't believe the hype that's heavily subsidized. Uh, I'm certain by the government and we need to avoid things that are causing us problems based on just sheer data. I mean, our world, it, our health is going in the wrong direction as a country, mm. and we can do better. We're growing sicker people faster than we're growing people, and that ought not be at all. So do you eat cheese? Occasionally, I eat cheese. Now, cheese can be eaten. It's a fermented source of dairy as long as we don't have GI disturbances. Having said that, there's an enzyme that breaks down dairy sugars called lactase. The dairy sugar is called lactose. So lactase breaks down lactose. Approximately 70% of the population genetically lose that lactase enzyme after two years old. So it becomes mostly inflammatory for most people. However, if we have a good GI system and we get a good full fat quality source cheese, we can have a little bit on the on the salads or whatever, and it probably won't hurt anything. This is interesting because I always say I'm from the land of milk and honey, but I'm lactose intolerant. So there you go. I, can't, I, I can't drink milk. I drink uh, almond and I also take yep. the lactate when I eat cheese. So now uh, someone with a high blood pressure and been on medication for years and years mm -hmm. and years on uh, that, what do you call it? Uh, the famous man. Like lisinopril or something? Yeah, lisinopril. Like how, how can they lower their blood pressure and maybe cut it out? 
Well, first of all, you got to go back to what caused hypertension in the first place. It's going to be a vessel stiffening where the, the vessels, when they, if they dilate properly and get bigger, that means, and get smaller, so they, they dilate and they contract. That means they don't get too tight when we push blood through there. That means if they can dilate, we don't get pressure increase. But when they can't dilate, they get tight and stiff, pressure would increase. But what causes the stiffness? Believe it or not, the greatest cause of stiffness is the standard American diet. When you wow. eliminate that and bring <laughs> in the anti-inflammatory foods we talked about, and bring in perhaps some nitric oxide agonist. You can create a little bit of relaxation in the vessels and that will mitigate many of the blood pressure issues. And we've been very successful here uh, using those modalities to uh, reduce pressure and create a situation where the blood pressure was actually pushing the system's pressure too low and therefore it forced removal of the blood pressure, which is great. Now, uh, what is it called? Nitrate oxide? Nitric oxide. And Nitric a, a good oxide. formula for that is that I use, and I've had good success with this. Again, this is not saying take nitric oxide, it will treat blood pressure. This is saying I've used this to increase nitric oxide in the body. It's called NEO40, NEO40 Pro. NEO40 Pro. Now, that's also to understand that nitric oxide is naturally produced in the vessels if we get plenty of green vegetables in where those nitrates are nitrates are converted to nitrite by mouth bacteria now this is key if you want to have high blood pressure use mouthwash because mouthwash kills the mouth bacteria preventing nitrate to be converted to nitrite so if you're out there and you have hypertension and you're using mouthwash that's just making it worse Wow. <laughs> yep. And like you've heard of these uh, uh, antiacid pills or, or omeprazoles or their formal name is proton pump inhibitors, those also will drive blood pressure up as well. So there's a couple things that people probably do on a routine basis that are driving the hypertensive epidemic. You mean the thumbs that we take? Yeah, we can't. I mean, in an acute situation, once in a while, okay, fine. But when you're taking those on a regular basis, Nazareth, we're driving the, the, the ability to not produce nitric oxide in the GI system. Therefore, it will create vessel stiffness. Okay, I have a question from a listener about uh, rheumatoid arthritis. If someone has rheumatoid arthritis, what is the best thing to do to deal with that naturally? Yeah, RA, as it's known, is an inflammatory condition that is autoimmune. Please know that one autoimmune condition is not one, but all. And I want to say that one more time. Just because we test for one autoimmune condition, it does not mean that's the only thing that the body's attacking. There's just a lot of stuff out there that we probably don't know what it's attacking yet. So one autoimmune condition is all autoimmune conditions. So what do you have to do to fix that? You have to go back and figure out what generally caused that. Most times, most of the time, autoimmunity is driven by what's called leaky gut, leaky gut. Leaky gut is when the small intestine begins to get permeable or get holes in the junctions that hold the wall and separate the blood from the internal system that we have covered here. And proteins slide through. And then the body sees the proteins, the immune, the immune system goes, hey, you don't belong here. And you get these antibodies created that then eventually begin to mimic tissues, such as an RA, they begin to mimic the joint tissues. And we get this crumpled look, right? So it attacks the joints. Autoimmunity of the thyroid is Hashimoto's thyroiditis. We also know there's such a thing as lupus. These are all autoimmune conditions that we see. The treatment is the same. We need to fix the tight junctions aka fix the leaky gut. We do that by removing the things that caused the leaky gut. The main things that cause leaky gut, sugars, grains, breads, processed food, the standard American diet. Remember, autoimmunity is a relatively new phenomenon that has grown exponentially over the last 30 years. Why? Because of our food supply creating the situation where autoimmunity is indeed possible. If you catch it early enough, I have seen those signs and symptoms go down in severity. 
What about when you go to the doctor and he checks the blood and he finds this L7, whatever it's called, and he goes, you have rheumatoid because you have this little protein in your blood. Is yeah. Because it, of leaky gut. Yeah, it all comes from the same thing, the same phenomenon. When the body turns on itself, uh, it's said, look, and, and this is difference of opinion that I have, and I'm entitled to that. I think the body can reverse autoimmunity. I've seen it before. I've seen, um, for example, thyroid, Hashimoto's, thyroiditis. I've seen that reverse. Um, I've seen people come in here with, with lupus, fibromyalgia, and right here in this office, and they were on medications. Now they're not. I've seen people in here with Crohn's colitis. Again, that's going to be an autoimmune of the, of the colon. I see them turning around, and uh, nobody can argue with the testimony. So I think that we've got to believe different. We've got to think different, and we need to search for upstream root causes and let the body do what it does. So again, with these, all these autoimmune families, the treatment protocol has got to be anti-inflammatory diet, heal the gut, fix the system, and see what the body can do. Now, uh, what about osteoarthritis? Is that the same thing? or? Yeah, now you're starting to get it. Anything itis suffix means inflammatory. So it just makes sense. If we can reduce the inflammatory response. I didn't say turn it off. I said reduce it by bringing in anti-inflammatory sort of lifestyle. We absolutely can get mitigation of those itises out there. And I see that all the time. People think I feel better. So I fix the gut. I bring in a high dose of omega-3. I got the vitamin D up there. I'll use some magnesium from time to time, clean up the diet and people get better. Do you believe in uh, those, what do you call, cleansers and to cleanse and how often and what's a good brand or what good thing? Yeah, so a lot of times people look at, uh, you know, cleanses to cleanse them out or whatever. Um, unfortunately, most of them are overhyped and underperforming. And what I mean by that is the body, uh, Nazareth, is detoxing 24-7, 365. So it, we, we can't look at like I want to do a cleanse to clean up my mess or to clean up my crap you know I've lived like hell I want to clean this up you know it's not like that just know that when you do a cleanse it might be a focused time that to get you back in line with what you're supposed to be doing but the persistent need to have to do a cleanse to clean out crap is not a feasible way to think um, we use cleanses here all the time when a person comes in and they're they're um, they're working on nutritional adjustment I will do a two-week cleanse with them just to get them locked into something of an idea where they're thinking about it for two weeks. And that's the great way because if the liver system or our detox system is working well, guess what? Toxins won't get stored. Toxins get stored in fat tissue. Toxins generally have a component with carcinogenic or cancer activity. So I want a system that works well 24-7, 365. So what, if, what about people who had cancer and they're healed, they had the surgery, had the chemo, or people who are afraid to have cancer? What do you recommend for them? You know, I, I can't say that I can understand because I haven't been in that position before. I feel for them in the sense that they've had to go through chemotherapy and things that would undoubtedly suppress the immune system, right? So this is going to be these immunocompromised people. But look, I'm not in your shoes when somebody, if somebody says it to me, but I, but I will say this in full confidence. I know the God we serve. I know he's not about fear. I know he's not about managing disease processes. He's about healing a physical body. And I think a lot of our potential healing is locked into mindset and heart set. What we think, what we say, what we believe with faith and then we've got to put the actions in. I mean, what are the things that we can do to prevent cancer? You know, the clinic data is pretty clear that we can add a lot of cruciferous vegetables like broccoli, cauliflower, uh, Brussels sprouts, kale, cabbage, bok choy. These are all great things that have various cancer-fighting properties, and we can learn to fast more. Fasting is a great way to let the body clean itself up versus really? feasting all How do you fast? How would you fast? How do you fast? So fasting you fast? is awesome. So there's multiple ways that we can look at this from the standpoint of long-term fasting, which can be anywhere from you know three or four days up to a week. We can look at the fasting mimicking diet, which is out. There's a nice product. I think it's called Prolon. 
Uh, and then there's this short-term intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting is pretty much what I do on a daily basis. I will, you got to look at this two different ways. I will compress the time with which I eat food. So, you know, I bring in calories that I'm eating food in a six to eight hour window. If I can do that, that means that I'm fasting from 16 to 18 hours, right? I'm in an unfed state. So that would be considered intermittent fast. A good example from a time frame would be like 6 p.m. tonight, which is coming up, I know, on the West Coast uh, in a few hours. 6 p.m., have your dinner. Don't eat again until noon. That would be an 18-hour fast. Now, Can I go on Pacific time and start on Eastern? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, make it longer that way. They, they might even go uh, Far East time if they want to. <laughs> but that's so you can eat anything in those uh, in that room or between noon and 6 p.m. Well, you, you don't want to eat anything, but there has been data, believe it or not, that even if someone's uh, nutritional intake is poor, by compressing the eating window, they've still had more benefits in that. They've still got some benefits. But if you can do two things, if you can compress the eating window and bring in the good foods that I talked to you about from that category, Man, I mean, health is going to improve with 100% certainty, no matter who you are, what state you're in. Okay, here's a question I, I, I'm waiting to ask you. Uh, what about hair? Can you get your hair back through nutrition? <laughs> um, actually, there is some studies out there that says that hair can regrow. There's a couple of peptides, P-E-P-T-I-D-E-S, that I've hey, used with success. One is called GHK Copper. GHK Copper works really, really well. And another one is BPC-157. So GHK and BPC, sometimes you can combine those peptides and there's a foam you can put on your head and sometimes that will stimulate hair growth. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. That's wonderful. Now, uh, what about the keto diet, the big keto diet, everybody doing the keto diet? What do you think of that diet? Uh, if it's done correctly, beneficial. If it's done incorrectly, deadly. The incorrect version is what's typically done. I call this the Americanized version of keto. Leave it to Americans to jack it up. Right? You know, we, <laughs> something is good and we mess it up. We Americanize it, right? Um, what Americanized version of keto is would be an example of, um, let me get some sausage, let me get some cheese, and let me make a casserole and just eat that all day long. Eat some eggs and, and some meat. And I've left out vegetables, haven't I? I've left a lot of those out, left out just a whole host of things. That is not keto. That is just insanity. That never was keto. That doesn't fit the definition. True ketogenic dieting is mostly fats, mostly fats from generally plant sources, nuts, seeds, avocados, it is high vegetable content from above ground, non-root vegetables like, like leafing plants, like uh, spinach and uh, cabbage and, and kale and that kind of thing. And it has a very little protein, believe it or not. So we're talking, you know, 80, 90%-ish, well, maybe say 80% would be from the fats, maybe 10% from the carbohydrates by volume and maybe 10% protein. Now that absolutely is going to be successful. That's pretty much how I eat. I will eat mostly plants and I'll eat a little bit of protein and you can put on muscle like that. You, you don't need to worry about muscle loss and you can keep a low body fat, which is great because toxins are stored in the fat tissue. Now, so you are, are you vegetarian? Are you vegan? Are you, do you eat? No, I, I typically, I will eat meat. I don't order it from a restaurant. I mean, when I'm, you know, eating food and rest, I'm going to typically get fish and that's just kind of me like a quasi pescatarian, but I'm going to increase my vegetables. That's the benefit that I want everybody to take away from. Increase your vegetables. When you have a plate of food, just the round plate, 75% needs to be covered with plants. 25% covered with protein. Put the plants on first, the protein on last. The 75-25 ratio will work for everybody all the time. It's a great rule. Wow. So you mentioned something about like non-root uh, vegetables. Do you mean the stuff like carrots and onions and stuff, those are not good? or They're good, but just for the most part, Nazareth, things that go below the ground convert to blood sugar faster. Like, for example, the white potato would have a 
more viable blood sugar conversion than say a bowl of kale would have. Ah. That's the difference. That's amazing. You mentioned something like, okay, let's say someone comes to your, um, to your institute and you say, you, you say by looking at their DNA, you can yeah. determine uh, what diet and what exercise. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, everybody has a unique genetic code. We're all, as human beings, 99.9% identical. But that 0.1% is utterly fascinating. And so in all of our, you know, thousands of genes, there are little differences in each one of us. I like to look at the genes as a dam and a river. Uh, so the river is here and the upstream stuff comes into the dam. The genes are like the dam. They have to deal with this upstream stuff from our environment, from what we're doing, and they have to make a decision based upon what's coming in, how much water to let out. So we typically blame the genes or the dam on the flood downstream, which is disease processes. So when the floodwaters come up, we're going to throw a sandbag at it, which is quasi-pill, right? It doesn't mm -hmm. fix the problem, but it might be necessary for a short amount of time. If we know how the genes operate and how they interact with the stuff coming in and what's best to put in from this interaction, this epigenetic interaction or this nutrigenomic interaction, which is the terms behind it, we can create a platform to make sure that our genes express themselves right, thereby creating better disease resiliency. We can get better fat loss. And we know exactly what to tell people regarding what types of movement they need to do to optimize the function of their dam. Okay, before I get to to talking about how can people get a hold of your institute, yeah. how can they visit it, I have one question. Some guys ask, okay, over 50, you're lifting weights, you look like you still have man boobs. What <laughs> exercise can you do to stop that? <laughs> um, usually, men that get to the 40s, 50s, they begin to get a little bit andropausal, where their production of androgens go down. Androgens would be like testosterone. So testosterone goes lower. Everybody, men, have a little bit of a natural decline on that. Women, of course, go off the cliff. That's called menopause. A little more sudden, a little more direct and abrupt. And that's why women have such these uh, very robust uh, symptoms that develop from that. Like women get sick post-menopause. They lose bone. They gain weight. They lose brain function. Men do the same thing, it's just not so fast. So they begin to put on fat, they begin to put on fat tissue, extra weight, et cetera. So it is best, I believe, for men that are getting the nays to get your hormones tested, find out what you are, seek a professional to help you get optimized in that area so that your body will have the material that it needs to keep building, keep strong, maintain muscle tissue, minimize excess fat as you exercise and change your diet. And that's the best way to make sure you don't have, you know, the, the moobs, the man boobs, as we call them. But talking to you, as, not as a doctor right now, as a bodybuilder, <laughs> what kind of exercise do you do to build here? Not just like, I know we do the lifting, we, we go yeah. inclined, but what do you do to build right here? Well, you want to think of the pectoralis muscle as, as things begin to sag, you know, as we age, whether you're a man or woman, things begin to sag, they begin to hang. And that's because collagen structure is a little bit low. So you, you got to take in collagen. That's one thing. But you want to think about how can I do to lift those things up? So anytime we can build muscle up in these areas above there, it will fill in that gap and it makes it look more full. So the way to do that, of course, is think about an incline bench press, right? Something about a 40 degree bench press or something like that to fill in this gap up here. And that helps a lot. And then further, you want to build your shoulders out a little bit so that you appear more broad and more wide as opposed to being narrow like this. You mean 40% incline or decline? Incline. 40% incline. incline. So this would be the incline. Here's the head. Here's the feet. Here's the bar about that angle. So do the bar while exactly. you incline. Okay. Uh, all right. Now, uh, let's say I don't live in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I want to use your services or your institute. What can I do? 
or reach out to us on our website at fmidr.com. We have people that we deal with all around the world. I have many, many people I deal with in California, on the East Coast, West Coast, and even around the world. Through the brilliance of technology, which we're experiencing today, uh, we, we don't have any problem treating anybody at all. We can get blood work done anywhere. We can get DNA done anywhere. It's not, it's not a problem whatsoever. Oh, you can get DNA done anywhere? Like you I bet. can go to the Quest uh, lab, uh, get a DNA? No, we would send you a kit with DNA and let you swab yourself oh. with instructions. You just mail it back to us. And tell me who my grandpa is, or you can do better than that. We can probably do a little bit better. We can tell you how your future is going to be. How about that? <laughs> That's good. Now, you had a uh, you had a best-selling book uh, on Amazon and others. It's called, let's see, the book is called The Quest for Wellness. And can yeah, people got, get we, that from your site or... They, we've got three bestsellers. There's the Quest for Wellness, there is Fork Your Diet, and there is Surviving the Garden of Eaton, which is our newest one. Uh, great title. Uh, they're all available on Amazon, but if you want to uh, shoot us a, a message too via the office, uh, we can, we can, we got plenty on hand. We, we ship them out of here all the time. That's better. I always encourage people, and don't go to Amazon, go get it from the author themselves. And Well, we can at least sign it that way, right? Is some of your services covered by insurance? Or? I get that question a lot. We, we always say that, you know, our time is not because insurance does not reimburse true health care. Um, insurance is a for-profit business, Nazareth, so we can't expect them to do what they're not paid to do, and we're not paying them to do. Uh, that's the fallacy of it. There's no such thing as health care. It doesn't exist. There is sick care because it pays when you're sick. However, when you're dealing with us, we do give people the option to any lab that we do. You can run it through insurance if you want to, um, mm. the lab part. Now, people need to know this. This is, this is what I hope people get. When the lab gets your insurance card, they will bill your insurance company eight to 10 times more than perhaps the um, the lab is worth. Now that's interesting because when they do that, uh, they're going to try to charge your insurance company that volume amount. So um, we always give people the option to put them through insurance, or if you want them at our cost, we make no money off labs. What we pay, you pay for a cash basis. Well, if I'm the only one on now, uh, I'm not sure, but I can't find Nazareth. But either way, um, I'm grateful for you, uh, Nazareth, allowing me to be on this um, broadcast today. And hopefully, you know, we provided some insight to those out there and uh, been uh, a help for them. So I look forward to doing this again next time. All right. See you guys later.